I'm walking down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone, and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilize the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them and in the garden. It's an easy step. And you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer. Or visit cress.com. Today we're going to be digging outside the box as we look at how to garden in interesting and different ways. Later in the show, I'll be getting my ladder out and climbing to new heights. By creating green roofs, we saw inviting wildlife into our cities. So I think it's important to sort of encourage that and do that. And our experts will be hearing all about your particularly tricky gardening dilemmas. I'm Fiona Davison. And welcome to the RHS Gardening Podcast. First today, Studio Rocco are a design duo based between the Kent Coast at Margate and the urban sprawl of London. Using greenery, they dramatically transform spaces like offices, hotels and restaurants. Their installations often create indoor jungles where you might least expect them. Hi, my name's Caro and I'm one half of Studio Roco. Hi, my name's Rose and I am the other half of Roco. When we finished uni, both of us really wanted to start our own thing up and um, had a real keen interest in plants. And Karen particularly, she had this, she was living at her grandma's at the time and her grandma had this incredible conservatory filled with all these different plants. And when I went to go and live with her, we, we kind of started playing around with them and propagating. And I'd been on a trip to San Francisco and gone to a shop called Paxton Gate. And... It was just such a revelation and I'd never seen indoor plants kind of sold in that way and they had these loads of really weird old terrariums and just like cool plant books and my mind was completely blown. And then I came back to the UK and started going to all of the car boot sales up in um, in Yorkshire and started kind of collecting as many weird old glass vessels as I could and kind of planted them up with any mosses that I could find and any kind of like little crystals and things and just had fun with it. And I wanted somewhere to try and sell it. So we, we started a, a stall at Broadway Market in East London. We sort of gathered this community mainly through Instagram and, and through Broadway Market of people who also loved plants and they were coming back every week to talk to us. Broadway Market is an amazing East London market in Hackney and it's full of lots of different kind of young artisans and makers. I think the plants for me were a kind of a way of connecting to people. Even though we weren't making loads of money to begin with, I remember just thinking this feels really good. This is like, this feels like something really special. 
we wrote our first book, House of Plants, and then started to do indoor plant installations where we kind of install large-scale installations in restaurants and offices and just helping people in urban environments to appreciate and love plants. My all-time favourite plant is the clivia. It's a plant that I took from my grandma's house. And to be honest, there was a period of time after my grandmother passed away where I didn't care for the plants. For some reason, I just couldn't. I don't know. I kind of forgot about them. And this clivia, it's so resilient. It was um, absolutely fine when I finally sort of remembered I needed to care for the plants. So this clivia sort of I must be about 40 years old. I just love clivias. They kind of grow from different clusters. So you end up with like lots of clusters of really beautiful, long, sort of tongue-shaped leaves, which makes them really easy to split. But I love it because, obviously because it's with my grandmother's, but also it's one of those plants that it flowers like four times a year. It has, sends off these beautiful, beautiful, vibrant orange flowers, no matter what happens to it. I remember I have got one that's in our studio and we had a flood and the ceiling fell down and all this plaster fell on it. And like the next day it flowered. My one at home has just flowered like a week ago. And I, you know, I water it, but I don't, I don't do a lot. I don't really fertilise it or I don't sort of pay particular attention to it, but it, it seems to love that kind of neglect. So that's my favourite plant. One of my favourite plants of all time is called a begonia angel wing. And it was gifted to me by my mother-in-law a couple of years ago. The reason I love it so much is not only because it's, it's so beautiful, it's got these, as the name suggests, these delicate angel wing-shaped leaves. And they've almost got these, like, not really spots, they're more like splodges, white splodges all over the leaves. And it grows so quickly. I've got it in my bedroom, so I wake up and look at it in the morning, and it's so easy to care for. It doesn't need much water. In the summer, it kind of blooms with these incredible little white jeweled flowers. And I think there's something similar to Carrie's favourite plant, it's having something which blooms all of a sudden. It's just something that the plant is obviously really happy and it's that little transformation which is just so special. I'm a big houseplant fan and pretty much every room in our house has got a plant of one kind or another. I'm sat in our dining room now and I'm surrounded by succulents in succulent corner because it's quite a light room. And I find that houseplants, they give a sense of almost companionship in a room. I'm looking now at a, a money plant I've had since I was 18 and it's traipsed around the country with me, keeping me company all that while. So I'm really fond of a houseplant. I think that they can really bring a room to life. But I'm also always looking for somewhere new to grow outdoors. And one way you can really garden somewhere new is by looking upwards. I'm talking about green roofs. If you've got a garden shed, garage or bike store, planting on top of it can provide some extra greenery as well as a useful refuge for wildlife. Previously named as RHS Young Designer of the Year, Ula Maria is all about gardening sustainably. So she's brilliantly placed to help us get the most out of those free spaces. 
green roof is essentially a small garden on top of a property or it might be on top of a bike shed or just a shed or some storage space. First of all, I always say you really need to know, you know, it's like a load bearing capacity of your roof so that you don't start creating a very extensive roof before understanding how much weight your roof can actually take. There's so many different ways of how you can create a green roof. One of the ways is by simply having almost like a large tray and then adding some well-draining soil and then just planting probably sedums is a good choice to begin with because it doesn't require a massive amount of water and depending on how sunny the site is, but a sedum roof is a good way to start. For example, if you want a wildflower green roof or whether you want a sedum green roof, you know, you can grow even oregano on top or gold sedum. And I think that's really exciting because you still include herbs in it. Or if it is a wildflower green roof, then you can use things like oxide daisies and poppies and really all the sort of meadow plants that you see in the countryside, which is also really exciting because essentially you'll invite a lot of bees and butterflies into your garden. There's also things such as uh, brown roofs, which is actually really good for wildlife as well, but essentially it involves less plants and more stones and gravel and just little bits of maybe drift timber and that still helps for insects and bees and butterflies to so like find places to nest but doesn't so like require a lot of maintenance in terms of watering plants. Another thing probably that is worth mentioning when it comes to green roofs or sustainable design essentially is probably water harvesting. So if there is some sort of opportunity, I would also encourage people to look in into water harvesting and how they can capture rainwater or grain water and then reuse it in their gardens. Especially living in the city, we saw a large garden is almost a rarity. So a lot of people have smaller gardens. Almost every garden has some sort of a shed or a roof or bike storage or even bin storage upon which they can create a green roof. And I think it's important because by creating green roofs, we saw inviting wildlife into our cities. Maria. My favourite example of a green roof is the one at the Horniman Museum on their learning centre. I think it was one of the first green roofs to be planted and it was planted with grasses so it could get quite shaggy and look like a little bit of a wild animal. So giving a shaggy green roof a haircut is an awkward gardening problem but I find that our members are always asking our advisors really challenging questions to get their gardening brains in gear. We brought Lee Hunt Jenny Borden and Nikki Barker together to answer some of them. The next question comes from Jasmine Akbal from Walton on Thames. I'd love some recommendations for ground cover for shady spots in my garden under large shrubs and trees. Well, Jenny, can you explain what ground cover plants are to begin with? 
Well, ground cover plants are pretty much what the words say. They will cover the ground and they will help smother weeds and they will do a good job where other things won't grow in terms of the things that I'm going to uh, recommend. I think the first thing I do in this situation, have a little check to see whether the weeds grow. Because if the weeds don't grow, then you are going to find it a bit more challenging and you're going to have to think a bit harder. Try to improve the soil by adding in well-rotted stable manures, garden compost, leaf mould, anything that you've got, even old compost from containers that you've knocked out from old bedding plants, etc. Among the things that you might be looking at are elephant's ears, which are called begonias. They've got quite thick roots. They're like, they're called rhizomes, which store water. So they're very resilient. They flower in purples and pinks and whites. They have even different leaf sizes as well. Some of them are a bit more delicate looking and some of them are a lot coarser and with very big leaves. Cyclamen are one of the things that I would go for, especially under pine trees. We've got them at Wisley. They look absolutely fantastic they're very resilient they tolerate the pine needles falling on them epimediums are a lovely group of plants they come in evergreen forms as well and you can cut the leaves back in very early spring so you can see the little yellow flowers very dainty flowers which come up on shortish stalks and ferns have a look at ferns for dry places this question comes from julia rathall from sussex What's the best way to deter lily beetles? I don't like killing anything in the garden. So advice on non-lethal approaches to keeping them away would be really welcome, please. So, are there any non-lethal ways, Nikki, to control lily beetle? I think realistically, no, because even if you control them without chemicals, you still at some point need to kill Not necessarily the beetle, but killing the larvae and squashing the eggs is a very effective way of dealing with the problem if you haven't got many lilies. It's quite tedious probably if you've got a lot of lilies, but they can certainly be controlled. They lay the, tend to lay their eggs on the underside of leaves. So if you can turn the leaves up and rub the eggs off. And that's quite a good way of controlling them if there's only a few lilies for you to do that on. It's quite difficult to kill the beetle anyway with an insecticide. At least that's what I find. I don't know how Lee or Jenny (laughs) do their lily beetles. I tend to uh, go on lily beetle watch and sort of creep up on them. You have to be really skilled because they drop off the leaves and they land on their backs on the soil and you can't see them. So you've got to sort of lurk up and just tap them off into your hand, put them on a hard surface and jump up and down on them. That really is the best treatment. And I, I, can't, I hate killing things. I really hate killing things in the garden. But it's probably the only pest that I will actually kill. I would never cut a slug in half. Nothing like that. But a lily beetle... Oh, yes. And our final question comes from Grace Orchard via email. I want to grow an olive tree in my garden, but I've seen recently that imports of them are restricted. What should I do? I don't want to bring xylella into the country. Where's safe to get them from? Well, first of all, to explain what xylella is... It's a bacterium and it's one of those that can affect well over 500 different plant species. We don't have it in the UK. So the primary thing with this is we want to keep it out. And 
therefore, with Grace asking about olives, she's probably finding that they're more difficult to get hold of because they used to be imported from Europe. Olives are still available. It's just that obviously we want clean ones that are, are not infected by plants that have been raised in British nurseries. By going on the RHS Find a Plant, she can search for Olea Europea or Olive and she should get some suppliers who can help there. She does go on to ask, though, if there's anything else that she could grow as an alternative. Are there any other things that look like olives? That Because obviously of the olives are Southern European things that love the sunshine, and we don't all have those conditions across the UK. What are some other things that would look similar? This plant does have dark green leaves, but they're a very similar shape, and it's just got a similar feel to it. There's a Mediterranean shrub, which is Phileria. That's with a pH. There's also a plant that I saw down at Rosemore. It's a tree. It gets very big in its native environment, but in Britain it doesn't get so big, called Maintainus warrior, which is a weeping tree, but you can actually prune it so it is, it's not so weeping, which they've done at Rosemore, and it's got a very similar look. Again, it's a Mediterranean feel to it. And finally, an Eliagnus, Eliagnus umbellata, which has got more of the silvery leaves and scented white, tiny white scented flowers in May and June. And you get little red berries with it as well. So it looks quite Mediterranean and has a silvery feel to it. Don't miss out on your chance to get your garden looking beautiful with our expert advice. Record yourself asking a question on your smartphone or tablet and email it to us at podcast at rhs.org.uk Now one piece of happy news to come out recently is that all RHS gardens are now back open. However, entry numbers are limited and you have to book your ticket in advance online at rhs.org.uk forward slash gardens. I can't wait to get back into these beautiful gardens myself. Particularly Wisley, I really want to see how the wisteria arch is getting on that runs right outside the garden library. Guy Barter will be back in the hosting seat next week and he'll be getting to grips with something quintessentially English. See you then for an oak tree extravaganza. down the path in my garden and I have a suggestion for you on how you could help with global warming. With a large lawn, I found a simple way of making a big difference. I sold my ride-on mower and bought a top-of-the-range Cress robotic lawnmower. It runs off rechargeable batteries and uses cutting-edge technology to mow and maintain a lawn this size. The petrol mower has gone and with it, the emissions. I actually don't know why I didn't sell the ride-on sooner. With the Cress robotic lawnmower, the lawn is actually looking better. The tiny grass cuttings fall into the grass roots, helping to fertilise the grass. And the family doesn't have to put up with the noise and fumes from the ride-on. And I've freed up more of my time to spend with them.
and in the garden. It's an easy step, and you could also be making that change today. Ask for Cress in your local garden machinery dealer, or visit cress.com. Discover the beauty of an RHS membership all year round. Save 25% off an RHS membership today when paying by direct debit. Prices start at just £55.50. With a membership, you'll gain access to an array of special events at our gardens all year round. Be the first to know about RHS flower shows and get exclusive member-only days plus reduced rate tickets. And you'll have the chance to enhance your gardening know-how with access to free expert garden advice, monthly editions of The Garden magazine and so much more. Terms and conditions apply.